Good day and welcome to another edition of Cracking the Code. Again, my name is Ryan Skinner and I have a great, I always say I have great guests, but this guy is a, a truly unique special guy. Um, Drew Crawford. Drew, welcome to the party. Thank you for the welcome. So uh, warm welcome. Glad to be here. It's funny. So when I launched this, obviously the goal of this is to help people to understand you can go through downs and ups and that's how life is. And I had certain people on that impacted me. You were one of those people, if I couldn't pin you down, I uh, still try to pin down True Blue. It's been hard. But, you know, I had Vinnie Piero, Bobby Rufo, um, you know, my buddy Bill, one of my buddies, Bill. My other buddy, Billy, he can't pin down, come on, because he gets nervous about it. Yeah, the esteemable Mike Higgins, I heard. Ah, uh, yes, the snuggle bunny Michael Higgins. It's funny. <laughs> Talk about it. Your nemesis becoming your friend. There's a guy who nobody, nobody wanted to see me in a jail cell more. And that guy, not only did he go to bad state my career, but he really saved my life because I, was, I just wasn't getting it, you know, and... Um, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. I have some really good folks in my life. So the whole purpose of cracking the code, I always say this, if you look at life like a, like a you know, padlock, you know, the ones where you line up the numbers, most guys that are successful, and by successful I mean, you know, can hold down a good job, but then it'd be big money, but a job, can have relationships with people, can, can function in society, at least on the outside. They can get two out of four most days. When we're in the zone, or whatever they call that flow state, when we're in that spot where things are just going our way, sometimes people can get three out of four. And every so often you hear about those times that people are in that like fifth dimension of life and you get four out of four. And I, I've been there every so often, few, few, few times. But what I realized was there was systems you can put in place, things you can do to keep yourself closer to that or to get there easier or more frequently or to stay in that flow state. And that's what this is all about. My job is to help people who are business owners, men in business, uh, people that want to be better fathers, husbands, you know, and I can share my positive experience, and I can share the things I've screwed up and blown out of the water. And then hopefully, people can grow from there and get where they're going. So that being said, Drew, um, when you were at the jail, so Bill, we met, you used to work at the Billrick House Corrections. I did, 30 years. 30 years, huh? God, that's a nice pension, though. <laughs> um, and let me ask you, what exactly was your job? Because basically, what I knew of you from what guys told me was, Drew's a guy you go to if you're having any kind of a hard time in life. He's not like a CEO where they're gonna, you know, he's a guy who'll help you come up with a solution. So it's interesting that when I sat at the sheriff's office, it was not my goal to work in a jail. Um, actually, uh, it, my plan coming out of college, uh, I didn't have a plan. I ended up coming back, uh, grew up in Woburn, coming back to Woburn, and um, not having a lot of direction. A college grad with a public administration degree, right? Um, and. Uh, I don't know if people of a, of a certain age in Massachusetts will remember the, the term Proposition Two and a Half when it, uh, some legislation that went to curtail uh, spending for cities and towns. Uh, and the biggest budget item in most cities and towns is the school, you know, is, is the schools. And um, budgets were hit hard and um, happened to be at the high school, my old football coach, and said, uh, She's coach, uh, how budgets? He goes, oh, we're getting hammered. We're going to lose some positions. I said, you know, I, I wouldn't mind helping out. Really? That'd be great. So I ended up volunteering and uh, substitute teaching a little bit. Got bit by the coaching bug, football stuff. Went on to uh, become a graduate assistant football coach. Um, coach, you know, small level, Division two, Division three, um, with the idea of, you know, I was going to be, you know, the next Newt Rockney somewhere along the line. Um, had some great experiences, worked with some outstanding uh, players, coaches, administrators, uh, but never made the, get to the point where I was making a, a living. 
and, and you hear that a lot. Um, yeah. I didn't know all that about your backstory. And yeah. to be honest, you'd be a great coach. Um, one thing I laugh every time I hear anything to do with you is the fact that, like, the well, you know, I volunteered because they didn't have money to pay me. You're one of the few guys I know that I call up and say, hey, Drew, you know, I'm running a financial office. I know this is something you have experience with, but uh, can you come work? And I also don't have money to pay. And you'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I've never seen somebody so truly motivated just by being of service to people. It's, uh, it's, it's remarkable. Most of us have, like, a balance. Uh, you know, I like to give. I like to give back. I like to pay sure. it forward, but I have limits. Um, you don't seem to be a guy with limits, man. You seem to be a guy who just would give the shirt off his back and then give, like, the hair off his back. And, yeah. like, um, how, how, was that instilled as a kid? I mean, I know your brother and sister, so I have yeah. some connection to the Crawford family. Yeah. Um, but I don't know your parents. You know, my parents were hard-working, blue-collar parents like yourself. They, you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of extra, uh, you know, at the end of the year or the end of the week of the, you know, the paychecks. But we never went without. Um, you know, they busted their butts and... You know, picked up. You know, they'd work a second job and everything else. I guess it was a work ethic thing more, and in an appreciation factor, I think. And um, one of the things I try to instill on my two young men is to be appreciative of the people who are good to you, and and you know, and, and pay it back a little bit. Somebody's good to you, you know, appreciate that and and, and push that forward. Um, so ended up at the house correction. Back to that real quickly. The the coaching part. Um, I was 30 with a master's degree. I came out with a master's degree in criminal justice, and I said, "Well, what am I going to do?" Um, and I'm, I'm I'm pushing on age 30, and I you know I can't I, I can't pay rent. So old. I'm getting so yeah, old. I can't yeah. pay rent. I come back to this area because you're good to people and good along the way. Appreciate people. Never burn a bridge. Um, friends that owned a gym here in Woburn, um, really? they said, "Why don't you talk to Mac? Who's Mac?" John McGonagall, he's the sheriff. He works out here. So they put together an introduction to me. The next thing I know, I'm going down interviewing with the sheriff at the Cambridge jail, and he hires me. Um, he goes, I, I have this position. I go, what is it? He goes, it's a case worker. He goes, you don't wear a uniform. He goes, we're going to pay you like a corrections officer. I said, do I really want to work in a jail? And he goes, uh, but you got like an advocacy role. You know, if the inmates have problems, uh, you know, we'll train you. He goes, but. The inmates have uh, questions about their sentence structure. They're having uh, trouble accessing, you know, if they're looking to get into a halfway house and, you know, post-release plans, uh, family emergencies. They can all sign up and go see their caseworker. You, what, what I think was amazing about you was this, from what I've been told, now I never had a, yeah. I've been to jail, I'm not saying I'm above it, but yeah. I never had, I never needed your services long right. But a lot of guys said that they were, and these were guys, as you know, I used to volunteer and teach your books exactly. there. And these were guys, they had stuff like mental illness. You know, I'm bipolar myself, and if they didn't give me the right medication while I was there, like, as hard as jail is, it would have been a lot harder. Absolutely. Um, from what I was told, you were really the guy who you went to when you got in with a psych doctor or a therapist. Right. Um, so I, I kind of rolled on a little bit, um, and then uh, decided that, I, I, I don't know if it was about me or the guys that I dealt with, but it seemed to be the kind of the more unique issues and problems and, and uh, presentations they came up with, the more I, would, I enjoyed it. I, I, really? think I, just, so you, so you, I enjoyed helping out, right? You know, looking at a problem a, and, a and, thing, and, and getting to a solution. Uh, so John McGonagall, the sheriff who hired me. Uh, so you liked to work with unique problems. Yeah, and then I, I went on and uh, uh, got my social work degree, and then I worked at, we had a mental health unit for a while. I did that. And went did back you already have a degree for something else? I had uh, an undergraduate in public administration. Okay. I had a um, master's degree in criminal justice, but that doesn't get you anywhere. You have to have all these degrees. 
So I, I went back and got I got licensed, and then I uh, they we started um, at about the same time is that we in corrections became a little bit more informed and a little bit more proactive in dealing with mental health issues. So I, I uh, my last few years. The sheriff's office, I was the uh, mental health clinician for the Cambridge Jail, 400 guys, one mental health clinician. Um, and then the last six years, um, I got promoted to an administrative position overseeing all the treatment uh, okay, opportunities for the sheriff's office, which, uh, which um, when, your service, when you came up volunteering, that came kind of come on underneath my umbrella. So the fact that I was there a long time, um, I had been in a couple of advocacy roles, and I kind of finally got it. I kind of understood, you know, what, what guys were, were up against and, and the, the various and sundry reasons that people end up in jail. Well, it's funny. Um, I used to think to myself all the time, I would hear you talk about it. I was like, this guy got like the playbook on life. Because most people, to understand mental illness, you, you got to be kind of screwed up in the head. You know, and, and I, that, that was why I understood it. <laughs> but when I would hear you talk about it, I'm like, this guy gets it. And he's never lived it, but he gets it. And I think that comes from an extreme degree of empathy. I have, you really have to kick, because let's, let's call it easy. We're hard to deal with those of us that have that stuff. Especially when you're untreated, you're in jail, you uh. yeah. I remember I used to go to Vinnie Pierre's office, I'd be like, by the end, he would look like somebody just put him in a window. You ever see those things where they put you in the box, they blow the air, you can grab the money? Oh, yeah, yeah, Vinnie yeah. looked like that yeah. at the end. By the time I was done talking to him, the poor guy would be like, I mean, the other day I called him with something, and he goes, you know what's nice, Ryan, when you call someone bothering you now? You're not flying off the handle. and uh, But it's so important because if you, excuse me, I mean, they have a crisis when people commit suicide in jails. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's a lonely, I, I will tell you this, it's a lonely, scary place when you first get there. When I went to Cambridge, it was at least more, it was a dirty, filthy place, but it was more manageable. And like, way overcrowded. Yeah, but it, it was, but at least it was like, now, when I went to Bill Ricker after, and I was like, oh my God, like you're in your cell all the time. I mean, when you're bipolar and mental illness, and I have ADHD, you're sitting there like this in the cell, like, oh my God. It, but it passed. And the thing was, there were people there. See, I was lucky I wasn't there long enough for it to matter. Right. But to, to know, it was, it was, I was trying at a young age, they're like, if you need help, there's help here, you know. Um, and I think one of the things that, that came for me early on, uh, fairly early on, and in my uh, time at the House of Correction, trying to understand it, trying to fit in, trying to understand everything, um, because there's a lot of unwritten rules <laughs> on both sides of the fence of what you do, how you behave, and uh, and all the rest. And uh, but I had a cousin who came; he was serving some time, um, and he uh, he had a he had a problem with alcohol. Um, and I remember going and uh, visiting my folks, and my mother saying, "Your cousin Jimmy." He's up there. I go, yeah. And he's my age. He was my okay. age, right? And she goes, my mother goes, did I miss something? I said, what do you mean, Mom? She goes, is Jimmy a bad kid? I go, no, he was always a good kid. You know, and yeah, uh, I go, he, you know, academically, he wasn't a real motivated kid. I think he might have had some learning difficulties, but yeah. we didn't recognize those back then. No, and he didn't go to college, him. and that wasn't his deal. And he, he went and, it, you know, he worked with his hands. He would, uh, did some yeah. carpentry and roofing and everything else. I go, but I did notice, you know, like in high school parties and stuff, you know, at the end of a party, people go home and Jimmy would hang out longer. Yeah, you know? that's how it is. And I said, and then, it, and then after high school, he hung out with the guys who hung out longer. And, you know, he worked in the business where having a couple of beers at lunchtime is no big deal. Um, and then, you know, it, becomes, it became his lifestyle. And then his lifestyle made some 
bad decisions and you end up being in jail. I go, but a good, you're always a good kid. You know, not, a, not an evil spirited guy, not a mean guy, not, you know. It's funny, when I remember being in jail, like when I was in Cambridge being held, it was like a dangerous thing because um, the way the crime looked, it was, uh, made me look like a tough guy when I wasn't a tough guy. They didn't do a cat. But there was some two tough guys on the on the block. You know, yeah. like you said, the systems that are run. Oh, yeah. Like a CEO or somebody in your position knows you tell one of these guys, and then they inform like the certain guys yeah. that run the block, not yeah. the CEOs. And it's like a respect and mutual respect. Right. But um, it's you know, my cousin Scott, I said to him one day recently, I said, You get a lot of empathy for a guy, you're a state trooper, he was a wild man when we were younger. He goes, Right, honestly, I was a wild one, you were in this I was a geek. And uh, he said it's just weird how it works out. And he said, But we realize we see people in their worst day. Absolutely. If you realize that going into that job, you're going to make an impact. And I know you did, Bobby. I mean, I'll never forget sitting in a cell. He got to go buy me lunch. I said, go screw yourself. Don't even look at me. I'm a junkie. I'm gross. And he looked at me and shook his head. He said, Ryan, there's only one perfect person. We crucified him. You're fine. Yeah. You're a good kid. And uh, from that point forward, he and I, you know how close they are with Bobby. And very few yeah. people are close to a guy who arrested him. So I think it kind of, when, when you kind of personify it, that they, these are people, they, uh, their lives, and it's, they made some bad decisions. They got in some unfortunate circumstances. They didn't pick their parents. They didn't pick where they lived. Um, you know, they didn't, you know, and uh, not that, you know, they play, want to play the victim card all the time because there's accountability for what you do. Yeah, no, it's 100%. We honest. all have free will. Um, Absolutely. But there's a lot of contributing factors. And I finally got it in the last probably 10 years, really understood, um, I think, in, in a general term, in a clinical term, in a professional term, or what addictions all about what mental health struggles are all about and um, so you know and I was in a, the last few years like I said I was in the position to make some decisions and, and direct some some programs and policies and and, uh, and some people and some efforts that we had there and I, I think we did a lot of good things you made it you made a huge impact because I would see it and hear from the guys and you remember I was on the ground level because I was volunteering so they knew I was one of them yeah right which was awesome because I would hear things and how they respected you and like how they talked about you and uh you know, it made me proud because you're my friend, you know? Right. So I was like, yeah, you know, because there's so many people who look down on people, or even the ones who don't look down, sometimes it's just like, listen, it's a nine-to-five job, I got a life outside, I can't fix this for you. And then there's guys like you who, um, you take it home. You know, you, I know you genuinely care. I see how you looked at the guys, you would genuinely give a shit. Yeah. Um, for example, either that or maybe you're mentally unwell yourself because here you are, retired, nice pension, you know, life's going good. And then you're like, well, Ryan, you know, I'm going to go to college and teach a course. I'm like, well, what's the exact topic of the course? So, it, uh, it, again, you know, right place, right time. Um, what had happened is uh, <laughs> how circumstances happen. So um, I'll make a long, I'll try to shorten up a long story. Uh, we had a relationship at the sheriff's office with an organization called Concord Prison Outreach. They started at Concord Prison 55, 60 years ago as a bunch of people in the community that felt sorry for the prisoners at Concord Prison. So they would knit them socks and really? they would bring them food. This is back in the 50s oh, okay. and 60s and, and all the rest of the stuff. Um, and as they evolved and they got a little bit more uh, organized and stuff, they realized they had a lot of talents of these volunteers and they would reach out to the prison to do some, you know, some education things that weren't being offered and they expanded to Bill Ricker. So I got, knew some of the people in there. It's all volunteers. So uh, I went and represented the sheriff at their 50th anniversary, and I had this new, you know, all volunteers again. She was 25, I think. She's the new executive director. Oh, really? She's full of, full of vim and vigor, and she said, what can we do? What can we do? You know, it's a program, and you need, what can we do at the jail? And I said, you know, we got, I could really use a parenting class. If you have anybody with parenting. You brought, you brought that in? Parenting, well, we had 
two staff members that were doing a parenting class, okay. but their duties became more so they weren't, didn't have the time to do it. So we had a void. So I said, if you ever get any volunteers that would be motivated to do a parenting class. Next thing I know, a month later, I'm getting these two names, um, and one of which was uh, Brittany Aiello. Why do I know that name? So I'm looking at the name Brittany Aiello, and one of my other duties as assigned was overseeing our uh, interns. We would have college interns come in. Oh, really? You oversaw those two? Yeah. And uh, so um, the name Brittany Aiello, she was, uh, she was a, uh, the uh, criminology professor at Merrimack College, proud alum. Um, Probably why I know the name. Yeah, and uh, she uh, oversaw the interns. Now, some of the in some of the colleges, the uh, intern advisor would come up and visit, and you know, do an evaluation yeah. thing. Other times, they just kind of you just did it. You, 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 you communicated, you know, writing and all the rest of the stuff. So I had never met Brittany. So the next thing I know, Brittany's coming up there, and she teaches the, the you know the parenting class. I get talking to her, and um, she said. Would, uh, she goes, I was just named the chair of the department. I said, oh, good for you. And she said, would well, you think the sheriff's office would be interested in offering Merrimack College classes to the inmates? I said, for free? Yeah, for free. I said, yeah. <laughs> so I ran up the flagpole with the special sheriff and the superintendent and all the rest of the stuff. And the next thing you know, we got classes going on from Merrimack at, at, the, at, uh, at the House of Correction. Now you explain how they brought the, that class, the parenting class, especially college class, into a, into a yeah. jail at no cost, which I really think is amazing. What I want to know is, how does a guy like, I, and I know the answer because it's who you are, but how does a guy like Drew Crawford somehow bring this into the jail, and then when he retires, he's like, hey, you know what, why don't you throw me a gig? Yeah. Um, how do you, so, and I, and I know how, and I want to know this, what you're doing for these kids. So when I bust your cookies a little bit, I got to tell you, you and I both know you're not doing it for the money. No. Uh, there's something about you, kind of like Higgy. He had to go back to substance abuse up in Bill Rickon because, yeah. uh, as he put it, if not, he'd be drinking all day. <laughs> but, um, but the truth is, he really couldn't stay away from that because it's what he's about. It's, yeah. Everybody is in it. You're in it's really helping people like myself with mental illness issues. And, I, you know, I was very lucky that somebody else had helped when I was in jail. When I got out, I had a very good psych doctor. But I was guided to know how to do that. I had two, you know, I always say the best thing you can give your kids, the best gift you can give them, Two good parents and no money. That's how I was blessed. My mom and dad had hard work ethic. They had no money, but they were good parents. They taught me right from wrong. And um, I know your parents are the same. I know I know enough about your young boys. I know people who know them to hear. They're pretty remarkable guys. So um, how did you get, like, how did you land up? I mean, I know, but share with the listeners. Like, how did you land up in uh, Merrimack teaching? So, By the way, I went to Merrimack. Yeah. So, um, so Brittany's there for a while. And uh, I said, geez, you were great. And she goes, uh, I go, uh, would you like to do the, another course of the parenting stuff? She goes, no, I'm busy, you know, I'm the chair of the department now. And, um, so I'm on her email list and we got, got to be friendly and she, then we got the college classes going and uh, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting ready to retire and asking every retiree, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do once you're retired? What do you do? And um, waiting, waiting for some magic, you know, uh, light bulb to come up as to what my plan B was going to be or my next uh, adventure. And the next thing I know, I get an email from Brittany that somebody at Merrimack, at, like just before the course, uh, the semester was going to start, had a family emergency and she was looking for anybody, everybody to teach a class. So I think I got the email on a Friday. I was off. I looked at it on a Monday. I was saying, you know, I might be interested. Next thing I know, she goes, thanks, everybody. We, got, we found somebody already. It wasn't me. Oh, okay. She said, but send me your resume. 
So I send the resume, she goes, this is too funny. She goes, we, had, uh, we have a, an elective course that we've been teaching here for years. It's uh, criminal justice and mental health. She goes, with your background in both being licensed social worker, 30 years, the masses, yeah. she goes, you would be perfect. She goes, would you be interested in teaching it? I said, yeah, I guess I would be. Uh, so um, so that, that's, that's, that's how it happened. She goes, great. And this is all during COVID, too, right? I was going to say, when is that? Two yeah. years, three years ago? So it was 2020 when I, uh, when I retired. And then uh, I'm back and forth with her. Now I'm thinking, I go, I committed to this class. I go, I got to come up with a curriculum. Oh, she I didn't goes, think of that. They don't get yeah, that. so she was saying uh, there was somebody that <laughs> taught the class that was, it was well attended, well appreciated, but they moved on with their career or whatever, and there was a void there. Nobody else to teach it. So um, she goes, great. So she goes, all right. She goes, do you want to be in person or do you want to be like on the computer? I go, <laughs> technology is not my thing. I go, I want to be in person. She goes, well, we're going to have it to be masked. I go, whatever it is, you know. You're good uh, live, you know what I mean? I yeah, don't know. I, 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 talking over computers, I think I go crazy with it. So she goes, all right. She goes, here's your class. When do you want to teach? I go, well, you know, I'm a morning person. She goes, all right. She goes, um, I got two sections for, I, I, so I was worried about, enough kids signing up because if you don't get like 12 kids that sign up they don't offer the class oh okay makes sense so i said all right you know i'm new it's a new class it's covid yeah, yeah 12 kids aren't going to sign up so I, I go Brittany, how are we doing and she goes uh great i go uh were enough kids sign up she goes yeah she goes and we had a waiting list for the second class she goes would well, you want to teach a second class she goes i'll put you back to back <laughs> she i go um, I didn't know I'm, this. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna she goes yeah, you're retired. He goes, you got nothing else to do. Yeah, I'll put you. And so then I've been there ever since. And you know, it's funny. I taught a grad class uh, online, which I don't recommend doing, but, uh, and I've been there since, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. You know, it's funny. You've always had a lot of humility, and uh, probably sometimes too much, because as your friend, you'd always tell me what's going on because you're just too humble. But that's really cool. You had a one, a way less than two, they offered a second class because yeah. of it. And I would imagine because kids younger and younger, the one thing I make fun of the younger generations, they're lazy, they're bums, they're this and that, but the truth is they're empathetic. They're usually kinder, except for the bullies. Uh, they're more mature. Maybe I'm wrong. I, and you can uh, I, I don't know if it's my experience. You know, having two kids that were, you know, but of the same ilk, so yeah. I have my sounding boards at home, yeah. um, and I would ask them ideas about different stuff, and especially uh, the older one who's now a master's level education. And, uh, Te uh, teacher and all the rest of the stuff and uh, we'd go back and forth and uh, but uh, the kids uh, I don't know if it's true of everywhere but at Merrimack polite to a fault yeah it's a polite breed. to a fault um, and uh, pretty motivated and it's an elective right and most of the kids uh, that I, I teach are criminology or psychology majors okay and one of the things I, I, I want to make it an educational experience I bring in people who work in the field I have Three, uh, three guest lecturers that come in uh, and uh, with different levels. One uh, is a, uh, she's a clinician uh, involved uh, with the uh, Wilmington PD. Uh, she's a, a, the mental health and, and um, substance abuse um, person there. Um, Samantha Reef, uh, Samantha Kavanaugh, excuse me. Um, I uh, got a contact at the uh, mental health court uh, with Casey Lapisto and Andrew Doherty, okay. uh, that are part of the mental health court up in Lowell. And then another Merrimack grad, uh, one of my colleagues from the House of Correction, uh, she's a mental health social worker, um, Christina Marrera. Uh, so I get, 
I get them to come in and speak at you know, the different levels of the intercept with mental health and criminal justice from the street, yeah. you know, the, from the street PD to court to, to, to the jail. Um, and then we, uh, we have some fun in between. I found a different uh, uh, a textbook that made sense. I got friendly with, uh, just because I, I was the de facto tour guide, um, a friend. Uh, That's so funny that you got that involved. Yeah, and a friend that uh, was a, a, a criminology and licensed social worker professor at uh, UMass Lowell, Erica Gagne. I reached out to her when I'm putting together my, I said, I know how you academics are. You like to, you know, keep all your research and stuff. And she yeah. teaches a similar class. I go, anything you could share with me, I'd appreciate. Scraps, anything. She throws me everything she's <laughs> really? done. Oh, she couldn't have been nicer. And plus, well, here's the reality. Like, people ask me, why do I share, like, slides from my workshop? My answer is easy. You're not going to be me, and I'm not going to be you. You, like, you can put me in front of a group. Like, last night, we had six people come as this referral event. So six of our clients brought friends or family or whatever. Out of that, six people on the spot. I knew they were meant to be with us, you know? Three, the other three, one is definitely not meant to be with us. Just flat out put, he doesn't belong here, I don't belong with him. Nice enough guy, but just not, you know. One, I can't speak to them, but I think that if you're him and her, you're probably not the right fit. And then one lady, I just know she belongs here. Um, so this lady probably knows that you're you. She's not going to be, I mean, you're, I mean, you come off very polite, nice gentleman on this little show here. But when I know you in real life, you're very polite, nice. But you're a funny guy. I mean, you'll go out, you know, and I climb event you out, you dance. I've never seen a guy dance like that. You, you can move. And and the point being is like you you'll get a different energy. And this lady's probably like, I'm not gonna be Kevin Drew and he's not gonna be me. And she's probably sitting there like, you know, lighty down. Um it, it's just very unique. I like when I have people in my life that are different. You're very different in the sense you do you just do a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you, you just do a lot. Like I look at you and I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, a lot of Allison know I'm going through a divorce. And um, the girl's my daughter's mom is great, you know, good mom. And, you know, we don't obviously see eye to eye, but, like, you know, good mom, and I appreciate that. And I will tell you, there are something about being a dad, like when I have my daughter, full, you know, my time is I'm a full-time dad. I'm not going to hire a nanny or say, I want to be a dad. Um, and I watch you, I'm like, holy crap. Because you did it, you know, you know you, your wife passed away, which is very, very sad. Very rarely do you hear a wife go for a husband. And, um, Having two, two boys, you really, I mean, I don't know how you did it, man, but you stepped in. Those kids, obviously, they felt pain. I'm not downplaying that. Yep. But they didn't miss a beat. Both finished college. Did they ever finish college also, the younger one? Both kids, yeah. My, uh, the oldest got his master's, the younger uh, finished up with an engineering uh, associate uh, from Middlesex Community. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, unbelievable. And I, and I think to myself, holy crap. He did this while like, after suffering like a painful. Yeah. Hey. It wasn't easy. There, uh, you know, and there's, there's still times uh, that I get a little emotional um, thinking about it. But uh, you know, I think it's the realism of um, you know my parents and stuff that they kind of instilled in us that you know you get up and put on your boots and go to work. Uh, I, yeah, whatever take, it is. Take care of what you got to take care of. And I agree. And I think sometimes it helps you get through things. Yeah. You know, but I will tell you. Um, I watch, like, and I don't know these boys personally, but I will tell you, we have a lot of mutual friends, you and I, and I always ask yep. to check in because that's what friends do. Sure. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, like, this guy really did it, and these boys did it. And that's a testimony just to you and, and your wife and yeah, your parents absolutely. because that doesn't just happen. Those kids at that age, that's an that's excuse to go off the deep end, become effed up all the time, yep. and to drop out of school for a year. Take time off. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm, I'm going through something. And everybody, yeah. Nobody would blame them. 
truly blessed with uh, with two great kids, and we, you know, and you try to you try to uh, you try to give the you know the best role model you can be for them, and you know, certainly not perfect, certainly not perfect. <laughs> well, Made mistakes. Back. I always I always talk about uh, as I get older, you know, having experience. And I go, you know what experience says? And I say this to younger people, and they look at me and they go, what? And I go, it means you made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> And, and, but you still have, you still have, you, know, you came out the other end. You're still there. Yeah, You're still here. I'm still standing, baby. Yeah. That's just, and that's just it. Um, I would say the most successful people I know, very few of them, if you're not making mistakes and you don't screw up at all, you're not living. Right. I mean, anyone, for a long period of time, like, I was worried about launching the coaching business. You know why? Because do motivational speaking and this and that. I'm thinking, I don't pronounce my R's. Um, I'm well, not sure to so. <laughs> Right, but I mean, I'm getting like speaking things in like Iowa and this and that. Yeah. Then I realized one day, like, God made me this way. I'm perfect the way I am. For me, like, I'm not right. perfect by any means, but I'm perfectly imperfect. And um, I really believe there's some sort of system and energy out there. When God, like, whatever you want to call it, creator, something is like, that's how it's supposed to be built. I'm not supposed to be you. And you're not supposed to be me. We're supposed to be. And I think once I got to a point where I accepted that, and I was like, all right, yeah, this is me, and I'm okay with it, my life got so much better. Oh, absolutely. You know, for so long, I was trying to be somebody that wasn't, which was insane. Just trying to be comfortable in your own skin. Oh, it, it's insane. Like I couldn't, I used to say all the time, I couldn't get comfortable. There's nothing about, I, people say, why do you do drugs and alcohol? It's if it came down to you, want the bottom line answer, the best I can give you. Now at one point it became an addiction, you don't have a choice. Sure. But I loved it, I didn't want to feel like me. Anything but Ryan was cool. I hated cocaine, but there was a period of time I did cool for about six months. Right. People said, but you hate it, you said. I hate it, but it was better than being Ryan. Right. Um, opioids, all that stuff, I mean, I just, I hated like, um, Add me and all that stuff, but if I wasn't Ryan, it was good enough for me. And my, and I'm not sure it's a revelation <laughs> when it when I talk about addiction with people and they try to say, but it's you know it's a voluntary thing. People put that those things in their body. I said, you know they're not doing it because they want to. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know it, it, if you put it all down, I said, but what happens is that you know we uh, in in kind of for me uh, at least for me with kind of the the um, growing up you know you. you get a six pack and you're out drinking in the woods in the ninth yeah. grade with your friends and um, and everybody has a different experience and you you drink a beer and you get a little buzzed up or whatever or you smoke a joint and you get a little stoned and and um, for the those formative years when we're you know hormones are going and you, 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 the social stuff's going on and everything else yeah. and you're developing and you're trying to find your own way yeah um, and if you're suffering with anxiety or bipolar oh, yeah. disorder or depression or a, you know an abusive household and you you take a drink you take a toke you do a line and you go oh this feels different I yeah feel it's different. relief it's not necessarily better but it's different and, it's funny and different sometimes is you know and we value in our heads different's got to be better than you know the shit that i'm going through the stuff that i'm going through and then Sometimes it becomes we do you know it gets excessive and then it becomes abusive and then it becomes our, our lifestyle and then we get in so deep that we start making bad decisions that really affect not only our lives but the lives of the people who love and care about us too. It's crazy to hear somebody break it down so well. That's not an act or alcoholic, but it's, it's absolutely true. Like you know, nobody ever first said, you know I remember I was speaking somewhere and they said well you know it was in front of a financial group. Whenever I do my speaking, my keynote speech. I walk up and on the screen, the first click is a slide with different mugshots popping up. And then the next click is a picture of me as I was going to prison, jail. Me, my shaved head, my, my inmate number. 
I always say I was I was supposed to, excuse me, I was supposed to be a junkie. And then when I get to the second site, and I also wasn't supposed to be inmate number one one nine one one four. But I ended up with both. Um, that's not who I am. And I go into it about how like, you know, I you I honestly I should steal some of that. That was quite a bit more eloquent the way you said it though. It's important because I'm in front of a room full of three, five hundred financial people, most of which have never used these or maybe have used them but haven't been but I say to people like, you know, I went from being a guy who was making, you know, big money. I made more of my 20s than I do now because I charge more fees. And then, like, slowly the money going, and then the cars going, then the houses are going, and then next thing you know, you're just a heroin addict. And I will tell you, brother, you nailed it. it it's so, it's hard to explain because nobody ever focused on, like, like the beginning. They always just show where you are and you're just some junkie. Right. What they don't realize is I was a nice, good, decent looking kid in high school, good athlete. And at the cake parties, I didn't like drinking because my uncle had, one of my uncles was an alcoholic, he was very abusive. So I'd, I'd have one sip and I'd dump the beer. Yeah. I was a dumper. And people yep. used to get so mad, they saw me, you wasting some beer, just don't think. I was so insecure that I need you to think I was drinking. That's I was right. so insecure. So fast forward, you know, college, this and that. Never really got into drugs, nothing. I drank a lot more in college, but still not every day. Like, you know, but if the one thing I remember in college was realizing when I drink, I don't know when I'm going to stop. So if I pick up, and I didn't know what that meant. But moral of the story is, um, at the beginning, I was just a kid who had some anxiety and I was killing some pain. And, and you know that I never think of it, but the way you said it is so true. That's where it started. I wasn't a party animal, I wasn't a druggie. And the progression, the progression that I mentioned, we had opioids. For me, when I have like a, I had a couple of surgeries, big one at 25, 26, that's where opioids, and I don't blame the doctors, believe me. It was like I knew, I tell people all the time, <clears throat> Boy, my eyes are burning like hell. I tell people all the time, you know, with me, I wasn't a victim, I was a volunteer. I remember watching guys I knew who were shady guys trade, some of them trade a Rolex for them pill, they were so dope sick. Oh, sure. And I thought I was above it. I thought 25, if I was having an addiction issue, I'd have before now. And boy, it brought me. Two things, two, two quotes, uh, there's like three quotes that really resonate with me when I think about people and their struggles now is that, uh, and you talk about selling the Rolex and stuff, my good friend Dr. Lennon, uh, Dr. Paul Lennon Sr. here in Wuburn is a noted dentist and real character if you've ever known him. He, uh, he would say, uh, you're a keen observer of life. Desperate people do desperate things. Um, and a couple other things that uh, hurt people hurt people. I like the second one. I never thought, well, the first one I never heard. Second one, hurt people hurt people. It's the most stuff I got going on in my life right now. There's certain individuals who are really trying to hurt me, like just really, um, there's one, you know, one individual. And the old Ryan would get mad and try to even the score. I'll show her, ever. You know what I think to myself now? Now it's not easy, but my sponsor in recovery said, Ryan, you gotta pray for her. And I said, I'm praying, he goes, pray for her. As I prayed for her a little more each day, um, it's got a little easier because I'm getting, the hate's going away, it's subsiding, I see the sick person. Great example, Mike Higgins, so my probation officer, I'm in jail being held. And I'm praying that when I get out, I get a chance to murder him. Literally, this is my prayer. <laughs> then after about three or four days, I pray that his kids won't miss him. I'm not lying, I swear on my kids. Then I pray that Michael died in his sleep. Then I pray that he doesn't mean die, he just stays the hell away from me. He moves or I move or something. Right. And in the end, I just pray that uh, you know, we stay friends. This guy literally went in front of a judge. She called off a judge I was gonna plead guilty to, no time to go. And I would have lost my whole career. My whole career. Um, so when he calls me, he's supposed to come by to get a check for some charity today. And the answer is always yes. And he says, oh, you can call for a car, and if I don't have the money, I'll give you the keys to mine. Um, 
power of prayer. People think like, so obviously, if you don't mind me asking, do you believe in God? I do. I do. I, I believe in there's, there's an entity out there. That, uh, I, I don't know if it's God, the spirit, humanity's, huma- you, you know, humanity's goodness, but there's, there's something out there. I'm not sure I believe in every, every, uh, every line in the, in the, you know, the St. James Version of the Bible, <laughs> but uh, I, I, there's, there's, there's good, I, I believe in the goodness of people. I'll tell you, I believe this, for a while, it's funny, X amount of years I went through um, while I was in recovery, I started doubting the existence of God. I thought, like, this, 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 I, you know what it was? I had a couple of things happen. You remember with the work that happened a few years ago. I remember thinking to myself, like, where's the justice? I do this, I donate this much money, I go to church six, seven days a week. I, you know, and then I started realizing, then I just stopped kind of really believing, but I kept trying to do it because I didn't want to lose it. And then out of the blue, at some point, I, I was telling a guy, um, Guy, Rob Kelly, this guy, Dr. Rob, he's been on Oprah. He, um, he's had a lot of celebrity clients. He does recovery coaching and business coaching. He was a guest on my show, and uh, he said, I want to um, coach you, and I, you can't really afford me. The one I was telling you about, yeah, so right. he said, I'll do it pro bono, whatever the hell the word is. He has changed. So I said, well, the God thing I'm struggling with, I haven't really had the good connection years. I used to have it like gravity. I would have seen God as like gravity. It's right there. It works for you. I, I was that sure of it. Um, he said, from that one, I want you to pray 30 seconds or less. God, I'm not sure I even believe you, but if you help me with, and he goes, nothing. My prayers were so methodical every morning and night. I was on my knees so bad, it hurt. And then I started praying just more authentic, quick prayers and asking for like, I'll tell you, I don't know what it is, but there's something that I'm connected to that's just unbelievable. And it's, um, it's a gift. I believe when you go through tough times, you know, you're either gonna have fear or you're gonna have faith. And, and lately, the faith thing's been really strong. I used to wake up every day with anxiety. Honestly, God, 10 years in a row, I'd wake up every day, I'd have anxiety, the way the world be on my mind, my shoulders. It was like, it sucked. And then um, with some other contributing facts, I stayed really depressed, and I was like, staying in bed till like right before I left. If I had to be at work at eight, I'd be in bed at quarter of eight. Um, I don't know what it was, like the last six months, whatever. It's like the, the bars came off Ryan's mind. And actually, not six months, like three weeks probably of the, of the morning anxiety being gone. But I don't wake up with anxiety anymore. I'm like, you know, everything I come up against, I think I can handle. And that's thanks to people like you, honestly, because I wouldn't be able to, sick mind can't heal a sick mind. Um, it's when you get somebody who can say, hey, what about this? What about that? Anyway, you're a guy's guy. If you're in jail or, or at college, it's easy. you hear that from some fluffy guy who's like a, um, like a fucking therapist or like, you know what I mean? Like, well, it's funny that, yeah, I, I think I can, I'm relatable, right? Yeah. And, you know, blue collar, Wolverine, you know, I've seen, I've seen people with, you know, that have had issues and have mentioned my cousin Jimmy. And, um, and I, I actually almost apologize um, when I, at the start of every semester, I'm going, if you guys are looking for some, you know, some great academic to come up with these, you know, criminology theories and studies and statistics and everything else, you're in the wrong class. That's and, cool though. And as I review, we did, just had my, uh, my last class yesterday before our last test, and I said, um, I said to him, I said, you know, I go over, I go, what did you like, you know, how can I improve and all the rest of the stuff. And I said, what about my stories? <laughs> like all the hands go up, they go, we love your stories. Think about what you have for stories. Yeah. Most professors are talking about, well, you know, I saw my uncle and he was really bad. He didn't get out of bed. You're like, well, I saw a guy who was up on murder charges. Yeah. And after that, uh, there's another guy who I think he was a rapist. And like, right. it's a little deeper. Yeah. Um, and I think you do it in a way. I mean, I, I'm just going to tell you, I know that you left the fingerprint on, on the jail. 
that's pretty impressive because a lot of people have come and gone and worked here over the years. Very few people leave their mark. Um, so, you know, my hat's off for that. And you, and you know I have a ton of respect for you. I, uh, I just, you know, you're a lovable guy. You know, you with my daughters, you're amazing. You know, you've been there. You've been there through a lot with me, like as a friend. Um, you know, I remember when I had that issue with the fight through work a couple of years ago. Yep. You were one of the few people I called, and you were like, you don't have to answer anyone. You didn't do that wrong. Don't even, don't even bring it up. And I was like, yeah. You know, before that phone call, I felt so bad about myself. And I'm like, yeah. And um, you're, just a, you're a salty earth kind of guy. I mean, you're just a good dude. I, uh, and everybody says it. Like, that's the funny part. Your name comes up. And you're like, oh, yeah, he's a good dude. Like, um, now you're still on the board over at the... Um, at the, the Boys and Girls Club? Go, yeah. yeah, active member there. And nice. Tried to, tried to do some... You some do good a things lot. There oh, the we, we have the gifts today. Yeah, so. I'm, I, I'm so appreciative. Oh, of, no, no, I'm, please. No, I, I, I am. I'm so appreciative of, of, of your efforts and the, the clients here at Apex that come through every year for the for the Boys and Girls Club. I had a, the great duty the other day. I get a, because I'm retired and I have time to do it, I get an email from our executive director and she's asked, she goes, uh, are there any board members that are available at 3 o'clock? You know, it's a tough time of day to come and, uh, you know, a photo opportunity and to thank. Uh, Foundation here in Woburn, uh, the uh, uh, winning homes. Uh, they were. Why do I know that? They were coming by to give us a check for a hundred thousand bucks. I said, <laughs> Yeah, I, I can be there to help. You know, uh, yeah. Shake hands. I'll rub their back. And, and yeah, and thank people for giving you a hundred thousand bucks. So. Holy crap! I yeah. Know. So that was that, that's a that's a good thing when you're able to do things like that. Yeah, I can't. I'm shocked right now. Yeah. Wow. So it's part of a foundation. Uh, the Winning Farm is a, well, it's a place in Woburn that's been developed with condos and everything else. And right. There was an organization that took all the profits and they, they distributed to uh, over $6 million, I think, over the years. I think I heard Six the other million day dollars. that they've distributed to nonprofits in, in the community. And it's just tremendous work. And, that, is, uh, that is tremendous work, yeah, honestly. They've, just, uh, they've been uh, in a, a great, they have their own separate board. There's some fantastic people on there, Chip Curran and Bob McGuire and there's some great people. I know the Chip Curran name. Why? I uh, just say he's a woman guy. He's been around and uh, doing doing good work for a long time too. So Drew, there's two things I want to end with for you. Two quick questions. For you know, you have what I consider a successful life. There's been ups and downs. You felt pain. You've come out the other side of pain. Um, one of the things is this: um, What would you give somebody for advice regarding you know living your life in terms of? So many people avoid pain, they take the easier route, they, they want the house, the white picket fence, they want it all like this cookie kind of thing. And then those of us, my life is too colorful probably. Um, what would you give somebody advice? You know, I, it's funny. <laughs> I'll, uh, I, I, I try to make it a point to have dinner every night with my kids. Uh, and they look at me, because they're both at home still, and they look at me and they go, you know, this isn't normal. I go, what do you mean? They go, none of our friends eat dinner with their parents or their family. And that was always that's important. Sad. That was always important no. to me that we make every effort to have dinner tonight. So that's we'll get it's great, and we'll get into some uh, philosophical talks. So you know, something be topical on yeah. TV, the, the politics of the day, yeah. and, <laughs> and all the rest of the stuff. And we'll buck. <laughs> and they'll, you know, they're uh, you know, they're pragmatic, and they want to know what you know. They think everything's black and white, and we should just eliminate this problem. <sighs> Here's the problem. Just you know, do this, and everything's better. I said. You know, there's more gray than black and white and all the rest of stuff. There's a caveat to it. Yeah, so they'll always want, you know, they'll always want to paint me in the corner and go, what's your opinion? What's your opinion on this? I go, listen, just try to be nice to each other, right? I go, and they, I go, I, that boils down for me for life now. Try oh, to really be nice. You yeah. can't always be nice to everybody, but try. Make the effort. 
And if somebody's not nice to you, well, you can amp it up. You have permission then not to be nice to them. Yeah. Um, but uh, try to be nice and try to be, you know, try, try to be appreciative of what, uh, you know, the, the people going, people have different lives, different struggles, and try to be cognizant of that. Not that we have to, you know, but try to be nice. Yeah, it's and, funny uh, you said that, because I'm a big believer in just, it doesn't cost anything to be kind to somebody. No. And usually no. it comes back, I will tell you some of the toughest things I've gone through in my life. I have people that have done really nice gestures to me, and like, and there are people that I, I at the time, I remember doing nice things and being like, why am I doing this for this person? And I asked this and that. It's always come back. So that's a great thing, Maro. And, um, I, think, I think in terms of, you know, be accountable for yourself. And I, I say that to my, I used to say it to my kids all the time. I don't know if it was, I read it somewhere because I'm not an original thinker. Uh, yeah, I that really there's that two things you're going to be held, uh, you're held responsible for. It's what you, what you say and what you do. Right? Nobody can hold you accountable for what you think. You can think to the most bizarre things in the world. Yeah. You can wish people dead, <laughs> and, uh, cancer on their kids, and all the rest of stuff. Well, that's a but <laughs> but what, you, what you say and what you do. And, you know, try not to, you know, and don't be embarrassed. You know, think about the ramifications of what you see and what you do, what you say and what you do. And, you know, and, and try to be nice. And that, I think if you. If you do all those things, you're probably going to be okay. I mean, I'll tell you, man, you've lived a, you've lived a good life so far. And you're not even on the back nine. I mean, you're still young. Were you 65, 66? I'm 64. 64? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You got, I mean, you get another 30 years, right. brother. Yeah, that's what, that's, what, uh, that's what I'm banking on. And then some. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I, you know, I'm grateful to have you as a friend. You know, I, you know one, you're, you. one, you're a client, but that comes, you know, clients, clients are kind of different. They're friends. You know, there are people who are coming to your life and you're like, geez, my life's better off having those people. So, brother, I'm grateful to have you on. I think you have a great message. Um, I got to look at you half the time when I wasn't squinting. Like, uh, I mean, I can tell you, I just put Byzine in. What a gift from God that is. I feel like a new man. Um, no, all joking aside, I'm, I'm grateful. You're a good guy, and I, you've helped a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people, man. And anything really, we can do for any yeah. charities that come up, you know it. Whether it's from one of those road races, which they have every six yeah. days now, I guess. Um, <laughs> one of the other, any, anything I can ever do to repay it, uh, it's a blessing. So I appreciate you. everything appreciate you do, you and, uh, for me personally, and, and you know, for the, the the member of the community you are, and, and all the good stuff that happens. And it's a it's a great time of year. Um, it is a great time. And yeah. uh, wish you and yours the best and happy brother. holidays. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. All right.